You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Guys, we're going to go ahead and get started. My name is Larry Gilbert. I'm the, uh, the one that got the ringing endorsement last week from Patrick, the special guest that he didn't want to hear, so loser. Um, uh, actually, Patrick is, is uh, out of town, and it's really, it's really kind of a neat deal because it, it's a, we ought to be proud, you know, that our, our, our pastor has um, been called the, the actual, the governor of Oklahoma actually called him and a number of other clergy from you know, around Oklahoma, Texas that were actually born in uh, Oklahoma to come up to the state capitol this week and to uh, essentially do a prayer vigil and prayer time and fasting for uh, the Oklahoma football team. And uh, retribution is swift and violent. Uh, He actually, uh, he emailed the the elders uh, this week, earlier this week, and just said that he would be up there for a while until Oklahoma got back to the state of prominence, so we've put together a pastor search committee, and uh, you notice how Patrick is never here when Oklahoma just gets railroaded, you know, he's, he's always out of town, so I'm trying to keep things even here, but uh, it's, it's, it's good to be here with you, um, um, we're going we're gonna to just pick up right into uh, chapter, th- uh, chapter 3, the end of chapter 3 and, and uh, chapter 4 of, of Hebrews, but uh, let's let's pray real quick first. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for this uh, uh, for this morning, Lord, and for the uh, opportunity that we have to open up your Word and Lord to encounter you, uh, to seek you, and to understand your character and uh, what you have for each one of us and each one of these men. Father, um, may the words of my mouth and med- meditations of my heart, as we delve into these scriptures, Lord, be pleasing to you. Uh, let there not be any confusion. Lord, these are your words, not mine, and I ask that you bless this and bless this time, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, if you, uh, if you left last week kind of like I did, um, I frankly thought I'm Moses. I'm, I, I guarantee you I've done worse than, you know, hit, hit the rock for water as opposed to speaking to the rock for water, and so I'm, you know... The way I walked in my truck, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm on Mount Nebo looking across Canaan and all I see is Stanton. I mean, I got nothing to live for. I'm, and, uh, but as I started looking into the scripture and, and seeing where Patrick was going with that, it really was uh, uh, inspiring to see how God works um, in this letter and, uh, and what he has to say not only to the, to the uh, people who this letter was going to, but also to us. And so... Today what I want to do is I want to do uh, really just a couple quick things. I want to do a quick review of chapter 3, because chapter 3 is really broken up into two parts, and then we're going to delve into, into chapter 4, probably hit the first 10 verses. Um, and, um, uh, but before we do that, I want, I want to just make sure that we're all kind of on the same page from a, you know, come from a background standpoint. And, and forgive me if a lot of this has been going over, but I want to, it, it's, it's really important as it relates to the scripture that we're going to be reading uh, this morning, 
that we understand a couple things. Number one, we, as, as probably everybody knows, we have no idea who the author was of the letter to the Hebrews. Um, there's, you know, a number of different authors that it could be, but, you know, frankly, we don't have any idea. Um, we know that it probably was written sometime in mid-60 AD, probably 30 to 35 years after uh, Christ uh, was on earth, <clears throat> died, and was resurrected. Just think about that. I mean, what were you doing 30, 35 years ago? I mean, that's roughly 1980. I mean, you could still, I mean, you know, I'm getting old, but I can still remember what I was doing back in 1980, all right? And if you think about that and think about the, 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 the people that this letter was being written to, these Hebrews, they probably, I mean, probably either directly or indirectly knew of Jesus, all right? I mean, you know, we, we, we're, our worship centers around all these figures and, and Christ of 2,000 years ago, yet here this new religion was being birthed and, and they're talking about a man that actually lived and walked and probably some of them or maybe you know, one of their relatives, oh yeah, I was at uh, when they fed the 5,000 or I was there when they, uh, you know, Lazarus was, I mean, that type of knowledge was, was rampant. And at that at that time, so I think that's important. Number uh, secondly, the last and most important aspect of on this kind of this background is this letter was to Hebrew Christians, and I think from a historical and a in a contextual standpoint, that's very important as we go into some because some of the things we're going to be dealing with today is, is is frankly, if you look at it, it's like man, that's I'm not sure I'm not sure I understand that, but I think if we take it from that context. It it, bling, it brings about some clarity, and uh, and and, um, and and helps us understand some of this. So, all right, so real quickly, chapter three, broken up the first six verses, is essentially this Christ is supreme or the supremacy of Christ over Moses. Now, for us, that's yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That's that's an easy get. I mean, I understand Christ is better than Moses, but again, understand who this letter was to. This letter was to Hebrew Christians. And to the Hebrew people, Moses was, I mean, he's big. I mean, he was bigger than, you know, if you want to look at it from an analogy standpoint, he was bigger than George Washington is to us. George Washington led us out of deliverance from the evils of the British Empire, all right? And we hold George Washington in fairly high regard. And, uh, but to the Jews, Moses was their deliverer. He led them out of bondage from Egypt. And in some circles of theology, I mean, you know, Moses was, they say, and I don't know whether this is true or not, but they say he was higher than the angels because of his intimacy with God. You know, he was able to talk with God. He was in God's presence. And so the Jews and the Hebrews, and especially these Christian Hebrews, still had this cultural tie back to the, the, the aspects of their, of, their, of their faith or of their way of life, of their culture. And Moses was huge in that. And so what this writer is trying to do is he's trying to, he's trying to make sure that, that, that that's understood, but that also that it's understood that Christ is supreme over that. So let's go, I'm, we're just going to do two verses real quick in, in three, I'll look at one and verse five. Verse one, just a couple things I want to point out real quick. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavy, heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. First word I want to look at is the word consider. 
That word consider is essentially the same word that's used in Luke 12, 24 when Christ says, consider the raven. You remember that? Consider the raven. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't have a storeroom. He doesn't reap or sow. He doesn't have a barn, but yet he's fed. <clears throat> that word consider doesn't mean just you know, a, a, a flailing, no, yeah, I know about the ravens or whatever. It, it means understand. It means grasp. It means to dig into. It means try to understand, uh, you know, study. And so what this writer is telling these Jewish uh, Christians is, I want you to consider Jesus. I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to try to get your arms around this. I want you to wrap your arms, and I think that's good for us. I want you to try to understand his character and everything, all right? The second, the second word I want us to look at is the word apostle. And I, and I was kind of, I was kind of uh, at first, I, I kind of gleaned over that, but then as I was looking at some stuff, in the New Testament, Never is Jesus referred to as the apostle. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is actually referred to as the apostle. And the, the Hebrew word here that, that the apostle is talking about is apostoli, which, again, understanding who this was written to, was, was fairly significant and important to the, the, to the Jewish nation. The Sanhedrin, if you would, is kind of like the Supreme Court that we have. And the Sanhedrin brings down laws and edicts and, and, and is the, the main governing body of the, of the Jewish nation. The apostoli essentially was the people who were the ambassadors from the Sanhedrin to the people. They're the ones that brought the laws. They're the ones that brought the edicts. They're the ones that were the mouthpieces from the Sanhedrin to the people. They're the ambassador. And so that's how we get the word apostle being an ambassador for, for Christ to the people. Here, the, this, the, the writer of Hebrews is telling the Hebrew people about a Hebrew name that they obviously know about, apostle. So Christ is that apostle. And they're saying, consider that Christ is the apostle. You know who the apostle is. You know what an apostle is. It, it, getting them into their own culture and, and, and something that makes them comfortable and helping them understand. And the last word is high priest. And we all know that, that how the high priest had such a, uh, significant bearing on on the on the the, uh, the Jewish nation. You know, the high priest was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies once a year, and he was the one that was the uh, the, the main conduit and the, and the uh, advocate for the people from God. So Jesus, the, the, the writer here, was trying to you know explain to these to these uh, Jewish Hebrews Christians that Jesus was their high priest, something that they could understand. All right, now jump down to verse five real quick. It says, now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. And I, I, and I, I think if we, if we look at this verse, it, it, it kind of throws out a couple things that are, are, are pretty important. Number one, what this verse is essentially saying is, you know, Moses isn't, you know, Hebrews, Christians, I know Moses is a big deal, all right? I know, I know this guy is, he's way up there. I mean, we almost worship him. I mean, people talk about the Messiah being the new Moses. But what you need to understand is Moses is one pointing to Christ. He's the one giving testimony to something later, to, to the Messiah. And I think it, it, it's, it's like, you know, we sometimes in our culture have a, have a way of focusing on the, you know, the pointer or the, or the sign as opposed to, you know, the real thing. Here, here's an analogy that maybe we, maybe we can understand a little better. You're taking the kids to, you're going to Washington. You put the kids and the wife in the suburban, man, you're heading, out, heading to Washington, D.C. because you're going to go to the Smithsonian. And you pray that it's open when, when you get there. And uh, 
So you're, you're 50 miles outside of Washington and there's this huge billboard on the side of the road saying Smithsonian, 50 miles, and it's got a picture of T-Rex and a space shuttle and, and the Wright Brothers uh, airplane and whatever, all the other good stuff that's at the Smithsonian. And, and you see this huge sign that says, 50 miles ahead, exit 4B, and you put the Suburban into this power slide and you come creaming across and get right to the sun. You jump out and you get your kids out and you look like Chevy Chase at, you know, in the movie uh, Vacation. You're standing in front of the, the sign and you're just looking at the sign and you're taking pictures of the sign. And man, look at that. That's T-Rex and you're worshiping a sign. You're looking at the sign. If you just stay on the road, the signs point you, you can see the real thing. You can get to the real thing if you just stay on the road, get to this actual Smithsonian. What this is saying is, to, especially to these Hebrews, is Moses is a sign to the real thing, and the real thing being Jesus Christ. So don't get focused on the sign. And in and, and, and our modern vernacular, don't get focused on the things that's supposed to point us to Christ. And what could those be? A preacher, uh, songwriters, certain musicians, certain books, certain authors, you know, MacArthur, Piper, whoever, Martin Luther, you know, those are all great. Those are all, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Christian music groups that, that are, you know, Mercy Me, whatever. These things that just, you, you, we get to a point where we just, we, we love them so much. We have all their tapes or have all their books or, uh, you know, I get all his podcasts of, you know, whether it's Patrick or, you know, Billy Graham or whatever. And, it, and, and we know that we still have this affection and, and this desire for Jesus, but we start focusing on the, the, that who is pointing us to Jesus as opposed to Jesus. And so what the writer here is saying to the, to, the, to, the, to the Jewish Christians, Moses is a great man, but he's a sign, and he's pointing you to Jesus. All right, now, jump on down to the second part of Hebrews. <clears throat> this is going to be from 7 through uh, 15. And this talks about, and Patrick spoke briefly about this uh, last week, the warning of unbelief, all right? And I'm just going to read one verse, uh, verse 12, where it says, Take care, brethren, lest you should be in any one of an evil, unbelieving heart, and falling away from the living God. Okay, now if you were here last week, and, and, and Patrick you went over this aspect of, you know, Moses and the children of Israel, except for J- uh, Caleb and Joshua, because of their unbelief, because of their sin, they weren't able to enter into Canaan. They weren't able to enter into the, the promised land. And so, Moses was up on Mount Nebo looking across Canaan and he had to find a place to go die because he wasn't allowed in there because of his unbelief. And I think the tendency, the tendency when you read these scriptures, especially Hebrews, when you read some of these scriptures is we start making the, the uh, assertion that this unbelief is, an, is a, you know, a unbelief relative to uh, our security of our salvation. You know, this, this once saved, always saved type of deal. All right? And... And to, to a certain extent, when you look at the word, this, this word, the, the actual Hebrew word, it can mean that, but it also means something else. And I, I, I want to go into that in, in just a second. The real, the, this word unbelief is, is more of a practical unbelief. A, uh, you know, where there's a disobey, you're disobeying. You're not, you're, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not minding the store relative to what's been instructed to you. Let me, I'll give you an example. I've got four boys and I've tried to, my wife and I, we've, we've tried to raise them in, in a godly way and, and give them, as, fa- as, my, as the father, I give them instructions, you know, both practical instructions and spiritual instructions and, you know, wanting them to do the right things, make the right decisions. And, uh, but here's the deal, okay? 
And think about this in, in, in relation to you know, the children of Israel and, and their unbelief as far as going into Canaan. When my boys, and they've been known to do this a time or two, when my boys disobey me, they don't disobey me because they don't believe I'm their father. And they don't disobey me because they don't believe that they're my sons. They disobey me because they think they can get away with it. They disobey me because they don't think the, the consequences are gonna be that great, all right? So the, that unbelief is an unbelief of, well, you know, I just thought I could get away with that or I didn't think the consequences were gonna be that great. And, you know, we, given last week's deal, you know, with, with Moses and, uh, you know, and his, his unbelief, I'll, I'll say what probably everybody's thinking. So Moses was not able to go into the promised land because uh, he hit the rock as opposed to spoke, speaking to the rock to bring forth water. Seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? I mean, you know, they got water. And it was pretty much of a miracle. But God kept Moses out of the promised land because of that. Well, here's the deal. You know, I honestly, I can't explain that. <laughs> I'd like to, you know. I mean, I, I guarantee if it was one of my sons, they'd have a, a whole lot of ideas as to why that wasn't a big problem. You know, maybe, maybe the deal with God, with, with Moses is, you know, Moses had this problem with speaking and, and he, you know, he wanted Aaron to do all of his speaking for him. And, and this was a way God of showing his leadership to his people to speak forth and to, you know, have, have God you know, mold him into more of the leader that he wanted to. I, don't, I have no idea. The, the bottom line is this, guys. God is not accountable to us. That, that may seem unfair. It may seem unfair. But fair is not necessarily what God is worried about. We're accountable to him. And so as we, as we, as we look at uh, this aspect of unbelief, what we, what we need to be looking at is, is, is the fact of, you know, God is sitting there saying, I, I have a, a plan for you and, I, and I want you, and I want you to follow this plan and I want you to follow me. And, and you're, the way that you're supposed to act, the way that you're supposed to conduct yourself is follow based upon my plan, not your plan, all right? And so uh, when, when, when we're looking at this unbelief and when we're looking at, at, at how this all took place, uh, you know, one of the aspects that, that uh, I, th I think is, is really important to, to understand is um, <clears throat> do you really believe, do you really believe that Moses, when you get up to heaven, you're going to go up to heaven and you're going to say, where's, uh, where's Moses? You really, I mean, anybody, anybody believe that? No, 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 not at all. The, 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 thing that, the thing that we, we need to be looking at here is, is Moses was God's, was God's man, but Moses disobeyed, and that unbelief caused that sin, and that unbelief caused that consequence of him not being able to go into Canaan, all right? And so as Patrick was talking to us last week and saying, you know, we may be that Moses. We may, we may have come to that, I, you know, that's, that was a, a, a shock to me. I mean, how many, how, no hands. How many of y'all, when y'all walked out of here, were thinking, wow, did I, uh, <laughs> have I uh, committed that kind of sin? I mean, am I sitting on Mount Nebo, not able to go into the God's promised land of what he's called me for? I mean, I did. 
I, 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 I mean, I, I, was, I looked at that and prayed about it and was asking about, you know, God, you know, what's, what's uh, you know, where, this, where, this, where does this come to? And, and where does this lead me to? But what it, what it really boils down to is, is I'm still supposed to follow God. My, that's, that's, that's my job. That's, that's, my, that's my call is to follow God. Now, the other aspect of this unbelief is when we're talking about the security of the believer, you know, this once saved, always saved, uh, which I just, I absolutely, I, I, I hate that term. Because what it, you, you, here's what it really does, guys. When, when, when you start talking about this, well, you know, you, you know, once you're saved, you're always saved, it just cheapens the grace that God gave us through his son, Jesus Christ. And here, here's an example. You're in the middle of the ocean, and out, you, you can't see land, and I mean the waves are crashing over you, and, and, and you're, you're sucking in water faster than you're sucking in air, and technically and medically, that's bad. You're going down, all right? And you're trying, you're, you're trying to figure out how you're going to get saved, and a, one of these sleek, big, fast Coast Guard men is just cutting through the waves and comes up to you, pulls out, uh, you know, pulls out a uh, life vest, throws it out there, you grab it, they haul you up on board, <clears throat> and you're saved, and you're going off. Now, is the first thing you're going to do when you're on board is like one, boy, I hope this, hope this thing can tread water. Is this, is this going to save me? Is, you know? Eh, no, man, you're, 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 ex- you're exhilarated that you've been saved, all right? The bottom line is we either believe that God's grace is sufficient or it's not. I mean, that, that, and, and as, I, as I try to, um, you know, when I have the opportunity to, to share you know, my, my life story and, and what Christ has done for me to, to someone who possibly doesn't know uh, Christ. A lot of times what I try to do is I try to tell it in a, in a you know, kind of the vernacular that they might understand. And one of the ways that I do that is, is you know, if, 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 I wanted, if I went up to Bobby Henry here and I said, Bobby, you know what? I don't really know you that well. I do, but if I don't, I don't really know you that well and I'm gonna give you a check for $100,000, just because I, I think you're a great guy, you haven't done anything to deserve it, but I'm going to write you this check for $100,000, all right? That's not going to happen, Bobby, so don't start writing notes there. I'm, I'm going to put this check there on the, on the table, and, and Bobby, Bobby gets up and says, God, man, that Larry Gilbert, he is a great, I mean, he gave me a check for $100,000, all right? Bobby gets up and walks out that door without picking up that check. Does he have $100,000? No. Now, I gave him the gift it's sitting right there. That's the grace. All right. The grace is I gave him the gift of $100,000. The faith is accepting the gift, salvation, accepting the gift. And the faith is I'm going to the bank and I'm going to deposit this because I know that check is good for $100,000. So when, when, I, when, when I'm trying to you know, tell people about Christ and, and he, helping them understand what is this whole deal about you know, giving your life to Jesus and, and being saved and all that? It's, it's, in, it's in that kind of realm of it's a gift. You didn't deserve it. None of us, none of us does anything. And if, if there's anything that we had to do to deserve that gift or is there anything that we have to do to keep that gift, then you cheapen what Jesus did on the cross. I mean, that's the bottom line. If there's something that you or I have to do to keep the gift that God gave us, then what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. And what, and what, and what, 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 what the scripture says is it was enough. All right, it was enough. And so 
this, this again, this, this wording of unbelief that the writer was talking to the Hebrews, he's, he's essentially trying to tell them is, look, that unbelief is, a, is, is, is not necessarily just in your security. It's in the way that you act. It's in the way that you obey God. But let's back up one more, one more around this and from this standpoint. Understand, what is, the, what is the Jewish faith? The Jewish faith is, is that a Messiah is going to be coming. Okay? And what was happening at this time, this is the contextual aspect that I was talking about earlier. What was happening at this time is you had Hebrew Christians or people who were following in, in, a, in a body of believers that were, that were of Jewish faith that had, had converted to Christianity and some of them were, determining, were, were trying to determine, okay, now, is this really what I want to do? Should I hedge my bets? Should I hedge my bets and should I go back to Judaism? Okay, what does that entail? Going back, to, going back to Judaism. Going back to Judaism entails you are turning your back and saying, Jesus, you are not the Messiah. You are not God's son. You are not the, you're not the Holy One that God has brought forth and you're not the one that, can, that, 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 can, that, that died and saved us from our sins. Okay, well, let's, let's just call it like it is. I mean, in, in that form and in that realm, you are rejecting and that is unbelief. And, that, and, and, and then you get into, the, you get into the, which we're not going to get into today, well, was he, was he really a Christian or, or were they really a believer? That's, 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 not, that's not for that discussion. The discussion for us today, for Christianity, for the Christians today, especially here in the West, is do we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, did what he said he did, and, and can do what he says he can do for us? Because of, because of the grace that God gave us through his son. And if we believe that, then he is our savior and, that, and that's, that's, that's all we need to talk about. That's, that's all you need to worry about relative from that standpoint. All right, third thing and last thing. Going into, going into kind of uh, chapter four. <clears throat> Start with me on verse 18 of chapter three because actually chapter, uh, the end of chapter three kind of tails into chapter four and it's, uh, uh, it's, it's all together. All right. I'm going to start reading from Hebrews 3, chapter 18, and I'm just going to go to chapter 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. All right? Paraphrasing is what, what and, and uh, hang on a second, key word. Key word there is therefore. Chapter one, verse one, uh, chapter four, verse one, therefore. And what therefore is saying is, therefore, based on what we just talked about, 18 and 19, all right, ties directly into what we're talking about as we go on through chapter four, these, these following verses, all right? So these are, so these are really commingled, they're, they're, they're connected, all right? And what this is, what, what this is saying is, is, the people, of, the people of Israel, when they were uh, walking around in the wilderness, they didn't enter into God's rest, or, and, we'll, and, we'll, and we'll define that in a second. They didn't enter his, in his rest because of unbelief, all right? So, therefore, as we start talking about this further in chapter four, therefore, the writer is saying, therefore, make sure that you, the, the, the readers of this letter, uh, don't fall short in, 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 in entering into his rest. Now, Let's, let's figure out what this, this rest business is. All right, I, I, I want to I I read real quickly, and I want you to just kind of follow along. 
some of these verses up through verse 10. All right, chapter, uh, verse three says, for we who have believed enter that rest, further down in three, that they shall not enter my rest. Uh, verse four, and God rested on the seventh day. Verse five, and again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Verse eight, for if Joshua had given them rest, they would have not spoken of another day after that. Verse nine, there remains therefore a Sabbath rest. Verse 10, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Okay, here's a, here's a not that I'm any Bible scholar, believe me, all right? But when you are reading through scripture and you're getting six, eight, eight, 10, 12 verses and all of a sudden you see a pattern of the same word over and over, you know what, that's probably a good indication that we might want to take a look at that, all right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what this word rest is. All right, God's rest. If you look at, t- turn in your Bible to Genesis 2, 2. Talked about this a little bit earlier. <clears throat> Genesis 2, 2, first book of the Bible. Okay, everybody there, Genesis 2-2. And by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Okay, that, that word rest is the same Hebrew word rest that's in Hebrews, all right? And here's what that, here's what that word means. Here's what that word doesn't mean. Let's, let's, let's look at it that way. In Genesis 2.2, here's what that word isn't. It isn't, you know, God sitting there going, whew, man, those Himalayas just wore me out. You know, I don't know how I got the Pacific filled up like this. I'm exhausted. That's not what it means, okay? The, the word rest is to cease activities because of completion, to uh, uh, stopping because of a, of a form of perfection. It, it's, it's, actually, it's actually probably, I just looked at Terry Rhodes and I just thought, it's probably where you get the word, the defense rests its case. We're, we're done. We've, we've put all the evidence out there, it's done, and we've got nothing left. There's nothing else. God, in the, on the seventh day, looked at his creation and said, it's perfect. We're done. All right? It's, it's like when you're working on a project or whatever and You've, you've, you've completed it and you look at it and it's exactly what it was supposed to be. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. It's working exactly like it's supposed to be working and you're going, we're done. That's, that's the word. It's, 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 it's a ceasing because you've reached perfection. Ceasing or stopping because you're in, you're, you've been complete, all right? So uh, when, when, when we look at when we look at it in that vein and you go back and you look at, 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 chapter, at chapter four, entering God's rest, um, you know, one of, one of the things that, 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 we're, that we're, we're struck with is, well, how do we enter God's rest? How is it that, that, that one enters God's rest? All right, so turn back, go the other way. If you're in Genesis or if you've, or if you've gone to Hebrews, if you're in Hebrews, go left to Colossians. You're still in Genesis, make a hard right. 
here in Genesis, you go through all the T's, the Titus, Timothys, and Thessalonians, and then you come to Colossians. Colossians 2, verse 10. Actually, you know what? Let's read verse 9 too. Colossians, this uh, letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, kind of in modern day Turkey. Okay, Colossians 2 9 and 10. For in him, meaning Christ, all, all the fullness and deity dwells in bodily form. Okay, verse 10. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over rule and authority. Now, let's, let's read that again. And in him you have been made complete. In Christ, we have been made complete. And, it, and, and that word is essentially the same word. We have, we have reached perfection. We have, we have, in Christ, we have reached perfection. We have reached fullness. We have reached completion, okay? And, and so entering that rest Entering God's rest, we enter that because and through Christ who makes us complete. Now that, 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 that's, that's, that's key, and I'm going to show you how that works on a, on a, essentially on a daily basis uh, so that we can kind of, as we wrap this thing up, as we can practically look at how, how this uh, works in our own lives. Think about, th- think about this, all right? Your, your, life is, you, your life is a road, and you're traveling down this road, all right? And there's all these pit stops and forks in the road and things like that, all right? Um, we, we, we become complete in our travels when who is driving the bus for us, when Christ is driving the bus for us, all right? And, and, and a verse that has always meant a whole lot to me because it, it, it reminds me of my dad and, uh, and it explains this in, in kind of our life travels is Isaiah 41.10, and if you want to, because I think this is a good, this be a good verse to underline for everybody that you can go back to as you, as you encounter things on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis in your life. Isaiah 41.10, and this is, I'm going I'm, I'm to show you this so, it, so we can kind of work and tie this thing all together. Isaiah 41.10, kind of the middle of the Bible, if you hit Proverbs or, or Psalms, you need to head to the right. Forty-one ten. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be anxious. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When I was a, when I was a kid, my, uh, my dad, used to, we used to go camping. We used to go out in the desert and tromping all over the place. And we went to some pretty gnarly looking places sometimes. And when I was younger, if we got in, a, in an area like crossing a stream or you know, kind of getting in an area where there's a lot of cactus or you know, maybe a little ledge or whatever, my dad would grab me with his right hand. And he'd hold me, and he and he just he would lead me through this through this path, okay. And I can remember, I can remember as a as a uh, as a child when he had me in, and when he had my right hand, I I had no care. I mean, we could be walking across a cliff, or you know, I mean, a raging you know a, a, a raging torrent of water that wouldn't have been around here very often, but uh, you know that 
filled with danger, you know. I'm trying to make this as gruesome as I can. He would have my right hand, and I, didn't have, I had no problem. I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know how we were going to get across, but I didn't worry about it because he had my right hand, and, and, and his, firm, his, his grip was firm. And I knew he wasn't going to let go of me, and I sure wasn't going to let go of him. And so we could, I, I could travel, and I could traverse these, these, these bad areas in, in, in this, the desert or in the mountains or wherever we were traveling, as long as he had my right hand because I knew I wasn't going to fall or I wasn't going to get injured or you know, get lost or whatever. God has us, he has our right hand. Now, guys, here's how we tie this together. When you look at, when you look at in chapter three, where it talks about this unbelief, and you look at how do, how do we enter in, how is the practical aspect of us entering into his rest? Here's, here's how that works, okay? It works when we understand that through Christ, as it says in Colossians 2.10, Christ completes us. He makes us perfect, all right? And to enter into God's rest is, is that area of perfection, the, of ceasing to have anything. So Christ presents us to God and we stand before God and Christ says, this is my perfect son. This is, this, this is your perfect son, Larry Gilbert. He's, he is in, in all fullness, in all perfection, because, not because of me, but because of Christ, all right? Now, how does that work practically? Here's how it works practically. It works practically on a daily basis for us. It works practically on a daily basis, and here's how. You have the, you have the, the ability every morning, every day, to get up and say, God, I know your right hand is strong. I know your right hand is mighty and I know you're not gonna let go of me. The problem is, <laughs> is sometimes I let go of you and we're going down life's journey together and, and, and my unbelief when I'm holding your right hand is when I let go, okay? God's rest and perfection, I'm holding his right hand. My unbelief, I'm prying the fingers off and I'm going my own way because I think I can do this. God, I've got this, I got this covered. I got this handled. I've got this one figured out. And then you end up in the bar ditch or wherever. Then you grab the right hand and he, and he leads you out. All right? And, and then you, you're tra- tra- traversing down again and then you decide, okay, I got this. Unbelief, you let go. So guys, here's the, here's the challenge for us as we, as we close this thing up. We have a... We, we have a opportunity every morning every morning to look God and to seek his face and say God I know your right hand is strong I know I know you have what I know you have what's best for me in my life I know that you know the journey and I don't I ask you I ask myself give me the courage to hold on to your right hand to accept your fullness to accept your perfection to accept your completeness in Christ so that as we travel this journey, I can enter daily, not at the end of the life, daily enter into your rest, into your sense of perfection. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I thank you for these guys and I thank you for the opportunity that um, uh, corporately, Lord, we can get together, we can open up your word uh, Lord, and as your word, I, I pray that um, it would hit each one of us at the core of our individual need, uh, whatever that need is, Lord, uh, you know that need. And Father, that your word would sink deep into our soul, um, 
that it would transform us, that it would um, change us, that it would enlighten us, Lord, it would, that would reveal your character um, and it would re- reveal the, uh, uh, the awesome plan that you have for each one of these. Guys, I, I, God, I ask that you, you bless these guys at their job today. Uh, bless them at their, at their place of employment, their work, their family, their marriage. Um, Lord, every aspect of the life. But Father, I, I just pray that um, uh, you would be honored uh, in all that we do and all we say for the glory of your son Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.